This episode of Ben the Knee is brought to you by our bannermen, Lord Jason of House Ross, Sir Jimmy of House Nuts, Master of the Web, Lady Dawn of House Wright, Sir Chris of House Farber, Lady Tracy of House Fa, Sir Peter of House Whittingham, Sandy the Dragon, Blood of Queen Daenerys and Lady of Jameson, Lord John of House Fry, Lady Juliana of House Stradley, Sir David of House Fraser, Lady Liz of House Hendricks, Sir Matthew of House Perry, Lady Madeline of House Fritzel, Lady Adrian of House Dillard, Lady Ashley of House Gardner, Lady Lismalin of House Morales. This episode of Ben the Knee is protected by Sir Ryan of House Turbush, Lady Sarah the Unraveler. Our current champion is Lady Kira of House Arnold. Our current Master of Coin is Lord Jason of House Ross. Squire to Sir Matt, Lady Betsy of House Hudson. Welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts, master of the web. And I am Sir Ezra, the Watchful. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we're into Daenerys, four of A Clash of Kings. And today in our Maester study, we will be discussing the disappearance of Sir Matt. What's dead may never die. <laughs> oh my gosh, Sir Jimmy, it's... um. You know, back in the back in the beginning of this podcast, we had someone on the show. People will remember this season one. We call it of of BTK. Had a couple individuals. We had Sir David the Huntsman. We had Sir Thomas the Round. And people were asking, "What happened to those guys?" And we said, "You know, hey, they've um, you know they're they're no longer with us." Is what we said. They're no longer with us. People wrote in. We had like literally five to ten ravens come in. Did they die? Like, did Sir Thomas the Round <laughs> pass? A, he's no longer with you. What's going on? So, uh, yeah, I mean, BTK is is decided to um, decide to upgrade, guys. Uh, Sir Matt is is no. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. He knows. He knows. I'm messing. Um, so no, we have Sir Jimmy uh, with us today, and Sir Matt is out, buddy. He is out, and. If you guys have been paying attention to the weather, I mean, the weather for us over here, I mean, you're in Maryland, right? So yeah, I'm right know. outside BC. Yeah. Like it's not been too bad for, for us. Uh, I've gotten a, you know, I've gotten a couple snow days, but the winter winds have been blowing, you know? So, and especially very, very much so. Yes. And actually we've gotten a few uh, additional Ravens where like people are like, is, is the book coming now? Like, is this the time? Is this the, you know, like. Is this what we've all been waiting for? I'm like, no, this is actually Winds of Winter. Like, this is not the book going out. Um, but yeah, Sir Matt's power has been out for over... Um, so we didn't record last week because that was the uh, the week where, I mean, Ice Storm and I guess Texas is still dealing with a lot of stuff. So again, yeah. we're not trying to make light of it, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's a reason we didn't record last week. And I, I, I said, Sir Jimmy, I said, hey, man, it's time. You know, it's I time. was outside. I was salting, salting the driveway. I was, all these snowflakes are just twinkling around me. And I look up and I see a raven, and it flies over me. It drops a little note. I, I catch it in my snow glove. <laughs> I, I kind of dust off some snow and I read it. And it says, "The realm needs you, the yes. Bud Knight." And I said, "Honey," <laughs> I went inside. I, I took off my snow clothes. I said, "Honey, my watch has begun. 
Yes. And, uh, and I knew that today, uh, the realm needed me and I had to be here and, uh, you know, be- best of luck to Sir Matt, but, uh, I'm going to do my sworn duty. Yeah. Yes. And that's what I'm talking about right there. There, there comes a time when we have got to, and as in Sir Matt's case, he often says, put the fork down, right. And pick up the books. Uh, <laughs> but like the, the, the whole Rhaegar, like sometimes you got to get up and you got to fight. The realm may call upon you to go to war, to defend, right, the keep or whatever, defend the realms of men. And that is what Sir Jimmy is doing. And I am so freaking glad. We've been talking for like an hour before we started the old episode here. And uh, we've bounced around the land of uh, fantasy books and just all sorts of stuff. Do not forget, by the way, to go check out the Fantasy Network on YouTube. Make sure you go over, subscribe to this guy. Why? Because I'm also going to be there. I've already begged him. I said, dude, I, I, I need, you know, look. Um, I'm going to need you to, you know, teach me the ways of YouTube. All right. So, (laughs) you know, I'm um, going to be a squire, guys. I'm going to be, I'm demoting myself to to a squire. Um, But no, yeah, definitely go check that out. I'm I'm happy you're here, man. How you been? You been all right? Everything, everything been good? Yeah, I've been cold, uh, but, but not too bad. You know, we haven't had any uh, major power outages here. Um, but I've been good, man. I just been reading a lot and rereading this chapter that we're getting to this week, I think is one of the most monumental chapters that we have in a song of ice and fire. And, uh, it is very, very special for me to be on during an episode where we're covering something so important and, uh, yeah, I'm good to be, I'm glad to be here. And, uh, you know, I've been reading a lot of other stuff and, uh, just diving into all these fantasy worlds is, uh, something of an experience. Yeah. So what have you been, what's your most recent, like read what's, what's been going on like over there? What's. Oh, I mean, you know, for people who, who are looking for other things to read as we wait for Winds of Winter and we read, read through A Song of Ice and Fire, uh, one of George's personal favorite authors and a very close friend of his is Robin Hobb. And Robin Hobb has an entire 16-book series. Uh, it is disconjointed into different arcs, uh, but all the arcs end up connecting at the end. It's called The Realm of the Elderlings, if you guys want to check it out. Uh, but I've been reading through that first trilogy. Uh, it's called uh, Farseer Trilogy. Assassin's Apprentice is the first entry there. I'm into book three right now, and it's just stellar. Uh, It's actually written from a first-person perspective, but it takes place in a medieval time. And we fall around a royal bastard named Fitz, and it is just one of the most heart-wrenching, you know, gut. You just want to vomit at some points. It's so down. (laughs) But it's very gritty and real, just like A Song of Ice and Fire, uh, with a little bit less epicness at the the beginning. But, uh, yeah, that's what I've been reading. I've been really enjoying it. Uh, George is a huge fan of Robin Hobb. Uh, He says that she is a diamond in a sea of zirconias uh, when it comes to fantasy, and I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So you've got me kind of fired up on on, uh, um, these different series and book series. You know, I was telling you before we started recording, back in the day when I was in college, I had this choice. And I said this earlier, like in the early days of BTK, but I was, I loved experiencing a new book series. Uh, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings is really what I got into back in like, you know, early middle school. Um, I got into The Hobbit and then just kind of ran with things there. So I've always been a fan of this. Star Wars is big. I read all the Star Wars Legends books, loved that kind of stuff. Um, but then I started looking for, I just love fantasy. I love fantasy writing. I love the books and I've tried to kind of figure out what are like the best series to get into. And uh, like the crazy thing is I picked two really big ones, which a lot of people have picked, right? Which is like wheel of time and then game of Thrones to get into. And there's just so much to consume so much rereading to do, but I have been itching to get into like a new series and to find something to read on the side, just because, you know, on the way to work, I can listen to audiobooks or whatever. You mentioned Tad Williams. 
uh right um what was that it's uh memory memory sorrow and thorn which is yep. uh really his whole ostinard saga because he actually has other books in in that as well now um, yeah you know he was a huge inspiration on george so I, that's the one I think I wanted to kind of uh, actually maybe start with on the side just to kind of read through. And then you got me fired up watching the TV show, The Expanse. <laughs> Holy smokes, guys. You have got to go watch this show. I mean, I think you, Sir Matthew, and others have basically been telling me, no, you got to check this out. Like, like you know, Jimmy's right on this. Like, like go, go look into it. And then you told me just moments ago, I mean, I think you've actually said this before, but I, it just... Until you're watching it and until you're in it, you're not really like, all right, yeah, sure, man. Yeah, I'll go check it out, you know. Uh, but... You had said that his that uh, that George's assistants wrote this like it's a book series, right? Um, yeah, James S. A. Corey is a collaboration effort uh, between I think it's Ty Frank and Daniel Abraham, and they both have okay. been assistants to George in the past. And uh, you can see it, you can see it in the show, right? Even uh, without even reading the books, you can see the influence that George had on them with uh, yeah. just the mystique, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it is wild, and I, I started it, and I'm I'm only in season one right now, but I'm almost finished with season one, and I'm like, what is going on? I mean, what is going on? And I just I'm <laughs> I'm loving it. So if you're looking for whether it's a good book series, so there's a couple. If you're looking for a good TV show, The Expanse, go check that out. Uh, while we wait for these other things, we're waiting for Winds of Winter. We're waiting for House of the Dragon um, over on Heroes of the Horn. We're waiting for Wheel of Time. Some good stuff coming down the line. Uh, shoot, I'm even waiting for the Lord of the Rings TV show that no one knows anything about that supposedly yeah. has been filmed a little bit. But what is going on there? All the all the mystery. COVID has really it's just changed the world. You know, it's changed the world. And yes. I'm like, gosh, I just I don't know. You so know, we got what, some. Though? Yeah, I think COVID has has made people want to get out of their world as much as possible. And I think that's yeah. why we're seeing a pretty big fantasy boom. Uh, like I'm seeing a lot of other authors and fantasy blow up right now. And it's just because people need to escape a little bit. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yes. So. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. And and I I like that. I mean, um, gosh, I hope more people do pick up these books and read because it's fun. You can learn life lessons. There's themes. Um, it's just an escape. I love, you know, one of my favorite things about the, um, the Game of Thrones show, right? So the HBO show back when it was going, you know, whether you're season six, seven, five, whatever, were the water cooler discussions Absolutely. at work, you know, coming in on Monday and just talking about the show and stuff. So I, I love, I, I love when, when a book series gets a show or whatever, because then you can kind of, you get the buddy at work who's read the books that mm -hmm. is talking about different things. And, and it's just kind of a really cool, you have show theories, then you got book theories only. Cause as you said, with the expanse, they die like that diverts from the book series. And we know with game of Thrones, it totally uh, does too at some point, but yeah, I just, I, I love that. I think it's, um it's, it's a really cool thing to kind of bond around and just, uh, you know, yeah, so. I, th I think that's why I prefer the weekly release of TV show. Like when House of Dragon comes out, I, I definitely expect it to be a weekly release, not not all at yeah. once, kind of like Stranger Things. And yeah. I actually prefer that because one, it keeps everybody on the same page. You know, I can't be on episode six while you're not, you know, if we're keeping up, that is. That's right. And then that dude, that water cooler talk is everything. I know. I know. I know, man. It's it, so the thing is, like the the world needs it. Okay, so like we need this back in our lives because mm -hmm. you got through Mondays. You like Mondays kind of suck for some for some people. I know you, everyone. You know, just that's the stigma. But you'd go in and you'd be like, so I mean, you get a little bit of work in around eight o'clock, nine o'clock, whatever it is. You know, ten, whatever it is for you guys. I mean, you would roll over. I'd roll the teachers' lounge, and we'd be like, what did we watch last night? <laughs> like what happened? And uh, 
people have different thoughts and different ideas and it's just it's it's so cool so i cannot wait for that to come back and uh you know i mean right now it's just dive into the books it's just learn take theories prep get ready get let the hype you know kind of continue to build we don't really have today any um show news because i was asking you know is there anything coming up with the new house of the dragon show i was asking sir jimmy you know anything out there there are a couple casting um announcements and i'm going to look at that in more detail later but it's cool it's cool to hear that they're casting and that uh, it's it's moving moving forward but yeah. um, and they seem pretty optimistic that we might see house of dragon in 2022 so really yes yeah okay. I, I think they're supposed to start filming in april let's go i mean let's go that would HBO's be hbo's not messing around man and they shouldn't i mean this is th this i mean matt often says this that uh, the streaming services, pushing that streaming service and getting that out there and getting more TV shows and stuff like that, I think it's I think it's the way to go. People, Game of Thrones changed things, and you can see Disney Plus responding, Star Wars responding, you can see Amazon responding, and yeah, um, yeah it's it's awesome. So, ah, it's cool stuff. So yeah, we'll we'll cover more on that. And I think there's some there's some people speculating as to who these actors are going to portray, right? I mean, there's some conversation around that so i want to look at that a little bit more closely i don't know that anything was confirmed we couldn't find anything just in an initial kind of google search out the gate but i'm sure there'll be more maybe i don't i don't i don't know that i looked at it very very closely but i like kind of speculating i mean they flat out told us who the other uh cast members were going to be right i mean they kind of uh hbo came out and confirmed like who is playing um um rhaenyra and um allison hightower you know what i mean like they didn't they i mean they kind of paired up so I don't know yeah. if this if this new batch has a pairing yet. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so. I'm not I'm not sure totally who's playing who uh, at this. Obviously, we have like Matt Smith, right? Like we know that cast. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but I assume that through March we're going to see a lot more stuff come about. And also, there's a uh, me and Ezra kind of talking about this before we hit record. But I'm getting more excited about how House of the Dragon. Uh, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of prequels uh, as it stands, but I'm getting more and more excited because of the people involved in the show. The fact that George is going to be working closely. A lot of the people that he handpicked for Game of Thrones early on are going to be on here. And the same gentleman's doing the score. So yes. a lot of yeah. the good elements are going to be here without D&D. Yes. Yeah. And to me, that that's uh, that, encouraging. That's encouraging. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Oh, gosh. No, that's cool. Yeah, I, I'm encouraged too. I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be uh, great. And I think they did have to. You know, when they were trying to to decide which show do we go with, which one can get us as close to that Game of Thrones feel, where you're suspense building, you're leaving folks on a Sunday night with like a cliffhanger, going what the you know happened yeah. there, or who's the guy behind the curtain, you know who we, you know all that kind of stuff. Because we're gonna be in, um, we're gonna be in the Red Keep. We're gonna be in King's Landing. We're gonna. I mean, it's it's. It is Game of Thrones like. I mean, we are literally vying for a throne, and we've got Targaryens now. We've got dragons. It's um, it's gonna be great. I think they picked. Her, I think this is a really smart move for them to to pick up right here with uh, yeah. King for, for the masses, I think this this is the most appeal you're gonna get. It has yeah. everything that people loved about Game of Thrones, um, and the the characters are strong. They're very strong. So yeah, yeah. And, and one more thing, we've said uh, even for book readers, if you've read Fire and Blood and you're worried, like, well, I already know what's gonna happen. You, I, you don't. Um, you do not. <laughs> and, uh, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I think you have an outline and you have maybe some major, uh, major points, but I still think there was a left, there was enough, um, mystique. There was enough, um, room left in the outline that they can do some really cool stuff. Really cool. Yeah. Answer some questions or raise more questions. And I think that'll be, that'll be awesome. 
So plenty, of, plenty of content to make around that. So that's exciting. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, uh, also before we're about to dive in now, we're going to get, we're going to get into, I'm going to have, um, Sir Jimmy kind of pull up, we're going to do some major takeaways from this week's chapter. But before we do that, shout out to lady Adrian, um, who sent Sir Matt kind of just a, a gift card was helping out with it, with he and lady Teresa, the guys, they did not have power, uh, up until I think it was last night. You and I found out that they, <laughs> Matt sends us a, a, a gift that says unlimited power. <laughs> like he's back. Like he's got Palpatine with the, with the force lightning. And I was like, um, so I did, I did talk to him briefly, I think on Friday before he had power and he just was like, yeah, I don't know if I don't, he's like, I thought I'd have it back by now. And, uh, he needs to clean up his house and they need to get some stuff done. Limbs have fallen on cars and stuff. I mean, it's, it's freaking nuts. So anyways, thank you to her and thank you to everybody who did send messages to our Instagram and things like that. We saw all of that and we really appreciate, um, all the, the, the support and we hope you guys are doing well too. Uh, we were talking to uh, Lady Betsy down in freaking uh, Texas. You know, we know a few people in Texas who are, or like it's, I mean, what is going on down there? Uh, it is just, it is literally, I, it just sucks. I, I hate seeing all that kind of stuff, you know, go down in our great state of Texas. Um, and I don't say that, I'm sorry, I've been like, like literally it's a massive, huge freaking state and there's so many people that live there. It's like its own miniature like nation and you're just like, wow, the whole, I mean, just wild. So we hope you're doing yeah. well. And uh, we're thinking about you guys, and hopefully we get we get out of this Absolutely. soon. So, all right, let's do this, my friend. We are going to bounce into this chapter. I have a summary for us. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to kind of, um, just a quick synopsis. And um, this chapter is something. You know, this is, let me read some of this, and then we'll talk about um, the significance of this chapter. So, Danny is is coming before the House of the Undying. Um, she does have Drogon with her, and she's being led here uh, to the House of Warlocks, if you will. And Pyat Pri is the warlock. He's got the, you know, Shade of the Evening lips, blue lips, uh, you know, warlock fella. Uh, taking her up to the entrance, he gives her directions, you know, always take the door on the right, uh, only take stairs leading up. And um, she's going to go in there, she's going to see things, visions of the past, future, and days that this is key. Days that never were. What? Hmm. <laughs> uh, and those that speak to her from other rooms. But she must not enter any room and keep her path until she reaches the Undying's audience chamber. And so the gist of this is she's going in to seek wisdom and, and knowledge. And it's the Undying who are going to give her um, some knowledge. So uh, she goes in. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Well, you know what? Actually, I'm going to leave it right there. We'll get into... The details. That's the setup for this. Um, she's still in Karth, and she's going into the House of the Undying. Um, so before we get into the details, overall impressions of this chapter. You said it kind of at the at the top of the show. One of the most significant chapters in the entire series. Uh, it is a debated. It's it's. Uh, some people say mis. I mean, we have interpretations. We have misinterpretations. Uh, all sorts of stuff. What are your thoughts on this chapter, just in general? Well, I think first off it's very interesting that this chapter is roughly 10 to 12 pages it's george is yeah. known to have some some you know thick with three c's chapters right right uh 30 40 ch page chapters are not uncommon especially in the later books but here i think it's very telling that george knew exactly what he wanted to get across in the text uh when he put the pen to paper and i think that this is one of those times where we actually see 
uh, a lot of the foreshadowing that George has intended. So we give him a lot of credit for foreshadowing or connections that we do not know yet if they are true. But this is truly some of George's masterwork right here and in his foreshadowing. And when we talk about the questions that we need answered to be fulfilled as fans of A Song of Ice and Fire, this is a honeypot of things that will be answered in the later books, which is really, really inspiring and encouraging to continue to read, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then mm -hmm. also probably one of the best chapters to reread, considering that some of the stuff that we actually already have answers to are foreshadowed right here, such as the Red Wedding, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I, this is, it is some of his best writing. It is um, one thing that Sir Matt, uh, shout out to him, he, he, he was telling me as, as I was prepping for this week's chapter and I was, I was talking about bringing Sir, Sir Jimmy on, um, he just said, keep in mind, one of the things that we've discovered is with the ghost of, um, ghost of High Heart and Melisandre and other folks who, um, well, it could even be Blood Raven, you know, it could be the whole... I mean, visions and prophecies and seeing things. We just did a whole episode on Patchface. Uh, he and I did this um, before he lost power. And you have people who are prophets. They're prophesying. You're seeing visions of things to come, things in the past, and you're kind of trying to piece this together. We don't have... So we have all of these different, like... There's like, there's like 16 points in this chapter that are quickly made that Danny kind of experiences. And some of them... We're trying to say, okay, I think, you know, a white lion running through grass taller than a man. What is that? Buddy, we have not even, we don't have Winds of Winter. There's a book after that. There are things that are said right here that have not yet been written that he was foreshadowing that he's yet to write down. We Sometimes we forget that we're, we're working in like, okay, well, what, what, like all, like, as if all of this should have already been exposed in the book series. It's not done yet. I mean, like yeah. some of these things are hints for books to come. And some of them, actually, when we look at the show, uh, you have a line of naked crones emerging from a lake, kneeling before Daenerys beneath the mother of mountains. Okay. So now we think of Vase Dothrock. We think of like um, maybe, you know, going back. We could be... A, a lot of different things. I mean, people emerging from a lake. Uh, what? <laughs> Naked crows. Yeah. Uh, George, what are you up to? Um, <laughs> so they're always but, naked. Yeah, they are, aren't they? I mean, I don't know. I guess that's uh, yeah. I think George so, is a nudist. He's I'm I love. Hey, I think it's great. You know, I think it's great. It truly um, is. There's a lot of uh, you actually. There's a lot of naked uh, craziness going on in this particular chapter. So yeah, that's let's let's dive into this a little bit. Um. I kind of have a doc here pulled up that uh, Sir Jimmy and I are gonna are gonna reference uh, as we work our way through the the House of the Undying. So there are rules to navigate through this house. Is it just me, or does she not? Is this a trap? I mean, was this a trap? Well, that's a very good that's a good question to ponder as because you know one of the things that we know is that sometimes she does not heed. Uh, the wisest counsel, right? So yeah. she just does her own thing and goes against what a lot of people are telling her to do. And I was going to ask you before we get, before we start taking uh, ourselves and our listeners through these halls uh, mm -hmm. of a very ominous place, I have yeah. to ask, what does Daenerys's future look like if she never does this? If she does heed the counsel uh, of, of her followers that say this is a bad idea, do you think that Daenerys's experiences, she would look at things a lot differently? When, when those things happen to her. Yep. Yep. 
Absolutely, she does. And that's a really good question because a lot of times in all writing and storytelling, mythology and things like that, when a hero or a protagonist or whoever comes across a prophecy, um, it changes how they interpret the rest of the events moving that's forward, right? right? And they're always kind of thinking and the, the wild thing and what he does. And, and I, this, is, this is why we love it, because you've got people around her like um, Quaithe showing up, giving advice and stuff. I mean, just that just happened. And then now you've got warlocks coming in to advise. Later on, we know that she'll get some concrete counsel. She'll get some counselors around her who are very pragmatic and just dealing in the day in, day out facts. But she's remembering what Quaithe said. She's remembering the House of the Undying. And it maybe uh, can skew her judgment a little bit. And it wouldn't surprise me if it were something that would drive a person mad. It, you know, it, that's that's where <laughs> I was going to go with it. I mean, if you're questioning every single time that you have a feeling for someone and you know that someone's going to betray you for love because that's what you heard in a prophecy. I mean, that affects your human to human relationships yeah. immensely. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And and that that is the thing we like over and over. It's it's foretold in here that, um, yeah, betrayal, you know, different things like that uh, will happen to her. Like her dragons, um, you know, are, are in jeopardy. She's betrayed for money, love, different things like that. Quaith is warning her as well. Now, what's interesting is, so we have enough people kind of saying similar things to her that we, the reader, go, you know what? Uh, they're all seeing something. Like yeah. th th there's there's commonality between some of these things. So maybe we should look out for this. And then we go forward with these events and we, we interpret um, the, you know, people who come into her life and we say, up, oh, there's the mummer's dragon. There's this guy, you know, and would we have done that? Had we, you know, like, obviously not. I mean, we like, that's the whole point. It's, it's, it's suspense building. Um, but I think, you know, I, it's, jo you think of George, you think of the writer, right? And when you talk about like, he has all these gods and religions and, and, and stuff, these people you've, you've built up real lore. And we know, I've heard him talking in So Spake Martin, which is like, no god is stepping foot in this world. Why? Because that's something we made up. You know, in his mind, that's yeah. something we have kind of designed. It's a, it's a, it's a you know, um, man-made kind of whatever. And it's, it's a way to explain these powers or things that are supernatural. Or you have it, but I don't have it. How, is it that, it's, it's a, how do we make sense of the world around us type of thing? So, yeah, I don't know. You, you take that into consideration with all of the people who are prophesying is are they actually seeing something like because then i go to bran later and i'm like did he actually go back and talk to hodor did he actually cause all that to happen like what the yeah and you know a lot of times we have to question in our everyday life whether things are coincidence and do we just keep moving on or is there more to it and i think george yep. through, through a uh through a chapter like this kind of gets you to question that and to make you think and relate it to, to the, uh, the reader. And another thing that George did really excellently here is obviously as a guy who does a lot of gardening and doesn't have a, a super tight plot. And he likes to find out where his writing takes him with these characters. He gave himself an out. He gave himself an out by saying some of these things may never be or never were. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he kind of gave himself an out. Like if he wants to change things up, Later right. in the story, he absolutely can. And it also, you know, we talk about the unreliable uh, narrator and the points mm -hmm. of view. Well, Daenerys, you know, we we see Fagon later through this lens. Yep. But this is Daenerys's personal experience with prophecy and yada, yada, yada. So, you know, maybe we're not giving Fagon a fair. We only think he's Fagon because of this chapter. Yep. I know. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Um 
Yeah. Some things, that's why I, I emphasize that line that there are some days here that never were. Yeah. You know, throw that line in there unless we're not. And uh, again, it's an option for him, as you said. Why I think he is, uh, he's gifted and he, he leaves himself a back door and he does leave ways in and out. And those are some of the things that we think, oh, what, are we ever going to get an answer to that? No, that was for the author himself to kind of maneuver through a story that he's writing now and he's thinking about things to come books later. Um, yeah. And he kind of knows where the story is going to go. That's why you can look at this chapter. And um, and to finish my thought, I didn't actually uh, get all the way to this thought, but the ghost of High Heart and Patchface and these other prophets, they don't just prophesy about something in one book. They, prof they prophesy about things to come in other books. Let me give you one example. And this is going to be kind of... Uh, here I go, diving down a rabbit hole already. What in the hell is wrong with me? We haven't even we started. Ha we haven't even gotten to the halls. <laughs> all right, all right. So here we go, here we go. Uh, Matt and I just did this the other day, and so I thought this was interesting. Um, if you've been following the podcast for some time, you'll know that when we talk about the ghost of High Heart, uh, she, she kind of prophesies about the Red Wedding and the fool that uh, Catelyn will you know slit the, the, the fool's throat and innocent dies in the jingle, jingle bells. Um, will will die at the red wedding. That's something said in the Clash of Kings that will happen, you know, uh, just in the next book, right? Um, now we have Patchface, a prophet as well, who's dangerous, who says something in a Clash of Kings, Davos one. He said, and this is this is not my. Th I didn't come up with this. This is uh, people have looked at this. You know, this there's, oh my gosh, um, Alt Shift X. You've got. Uh, gray area you've got different I've, I've, almost everyone's covered this and so i don't think this is anything new for folks but i like to highlight it and bring it forward on the podcast um patchface says in in a clash of kings davos one under the sea smoke rises in bubbles and flames burn green and blue and black and so and you stop right there and you say oh pff, all right clear as day he's talking about the battle of the blackwater you know you've got the, the color black and you've got green and wildfire the green kind of um you know, in, in Cersei's eye, it's hinted at all the time that wildfire is is a big deal. Not only, my friend, is it a big deal in that chapter for the Battle of the Blackwater, but it's a big deal, we know, maybe at the end of the series. And so that's him prophesying about one thing, like like foreshadowing something to come in that book. The And it seems like, okay, beginning of the story, here we go. You can make almost like a direct correlation um, that there is smoke rising on the sea, bubbles, flames, and they're green. Oh, there, there we go. Then people look at this and they say, now, hold on a second. What do we see in the show? And I know people may hate this, but in the show, we saw one of, um, so Danny has uh, three dragons, right? She's got three dragons. She has Regal, who is green, first color, match, green. Now, the second color, blue, we don't have anything for that. We have Viserion, who is pale gold. Uh, we have Drogon, though, who is black. So we have two of the three colors matching, right? Green and black. What about blue? We have a pale gold dragon. Well, a pale gold dragon is turned to a blue dragon in the TV show. Oh, no. And, and so you go, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, that actually happens. That actually happens in the show. And you're like, then you go back to Patchface here and you say, now hold the phone. This was in A Clash of Kings. Did he actually, I mean, is this just like, right? Like, like under the sea, smoke rises and bubbles and flames and they burn green, blue and black. Now, it's, it's a stretch. You could say, like, is, is that just something that when you go back through a reread, it's a little... And you would say, ah, come on, Sir Ezra, that's nothing. I'm not the only YouTube creator and podcaster who is talking about that quote after this came out in the show who said, uh, pay attention here. He does drop things that small, that little with a character like Patchface's, uh, Patchface and others that you go, damn, you've got to pay attention to 
everything that this guy writes in this book. And it is, that is why it is so dense. That's why it's worthy of multiple rereads. And I love it. Freaking yeah, love absolutely. It. And I mean, you also have to think that Patchface, um, you know, foreshadowing the Black uh, Battle of Blackwater, you know, that, that, that I think that's probably what he's talking about yeah, however yeah, yeah. yeah uh it does seem a little odd that Patchface would do like be it's almost a throwaway line at that point yeah right yeah. I, I mean i guess the wildfire is a pretty big deal but uh like where does the blue come from where does the yeah. like, the other colors do have significance it's it, it's not just green right yeah yeah why put them in what why not just yeah, say yeah. green why put in blue and black why i mean does not make yeah patch face is very on purpose yeah, yeah, and there you go. That's that's a good way to put it. And I think that's what you think. You're like, all right, we stop at green. But the author intentionally put the other two colors in there. And what do they symbolize? And why are there three colors? You know, and so then you start to go, damn, this is this is pretty um, significant. So, and I bring that up because the ghost of High Heart says when she's conveying her dreams um, to Tom Seven Strings and others, in the Riverlands, she'll say that the saddest sound was the bells. And we say, oh, Jingle Bells at the Red Wedding. Well, the saddest sound in all of the TV show were the bells ringing in King's Landing to surrender when the city was burned and innocents died. And I go, damn, did the ghost of high art also prophesy like about that? Did you know, foresee that? So that's where I say, like, this is why I like him. So this is why I love George so much is that something can correlate to the same book, but he knows just hold on a second. I didn't just plant that seed for this book only. I planted it for two books later. Like, watch out. So that's why this this chapter is so awesome. And I'm so glad you're on for this chapter because it's like, it's a lot. It is, it is, it is a lot. It is um, a lot to unpack. So we're going to kind of go through the, the, the long haul here and talk about some of these visions. And honestly, like point number one, I have no flipping clue what this one's about. People have speculated. I don't agree with some of the speculation on what's in this room, but in one room, I'm going to read this for us, and we'll kind of go back and forth here on these points. Uh, in the first room, uh, you have a beautiful woman sprawled naked, there we go, on the floor, while four little men crawled over her. They had radish pointed faces and tiny pink hands, like the servitor who had brought her the glass of shade. One was pumping between her thighs, another savaged her breasts, uh, worrying at uh, the nipple with, red, uh, with his uh, wet red mouth tearing and chewing. I don't have, I, I, I think it's shock factor. I'm sitting here going, what is, you know, symbolic, what is, what does this represent? I mean, geez, what is she seeing in this, in this first room? So my, my initial thought is I have no flipping clue. And I wanted to start with that because I do have ideas and, and, and thoughts on the other ones, but I think it's okay to say, I don't have a freaking clue what that's talking about. You know, like, like what does the, the what does the woman symbolize? Why for? Why are their actions significant? You know, I mean, yeah, for me, it feels like uh, four kings fighting uh, the woman representing King's Landing, right? Mm -hmm. The realm. And then the four four men uh, with rat pointed faces are the four kings. Uh, yeah. And I know people say, oh, there's five kings. But technically, Renly, I believe, was dead. By yes, I, I believe yes. by the time Baylor yes. took his that he declared himself a king. So it would have been four at yeah. that time. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of how I interpret it. I think a lot of people interpret it that way. Uh, I've read that on other threads and on, and listened yep. to it on other videos and whatnot. Like, I, I think that makes the most sense, but maybe there's another reason I'd love to hear if anybody else has other opinions that differ from that. 
Right. And that's where, you know, we, we sometimes when we've read so much of the theories and we've heard the speculation on things, we do almost get, this is why I love when folks send us a rave and they say, I see something that maybe others haven't seen. And you can say, ah, man, everything's been covered. It's almost headcanon now. Let me tell you right now, it is not. Uh, I don't think anyone would have taken that patch face quote and have said years ago. Yeah, that's, that's what's going to happen. No flipping way. Where are you going to come up with that? I mean, and that's cool. So, but I, I, I probably do. I, I think I agree with you. I mean, like there, that is what I've seen. It seems like, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I want it to be something more, but also it's one of those, it's, it's almost kind of, um, it's kind of a gruesome first door. And so you're like, let's just move. Let's just move on. Um, yeah. N- nice but, little appetizer. <laughs> yeah. Let's, yeah. I mean, it does, it does build suspense and you, you're out the gate going, holy crap, what is going, what in the seven hells is going on in, in here? You know? <laughs> um, so there's that, but yeah. All right. Uh, point number two here. So further on, she came upon a feast of corpses, savagely slaughtered. The feasters lay strewn across um, overturned chairs, uh, hacked tresses table, hacked trestle tables and spread. Uh, a sprawl in pools of congealed blood. Some had lost limbs, even heads, severed hands, uh, clutched bloody cups, wooden spoons, roast fowl, heels of bread. In a throne above them sat a dead man with the head of a wolf. He wore an iron crown um, and held a leg of lamb in one hand as a king might hold a scepter. So, you know, I mean, I think a lot of folks will, I mean, Simple. We don't have to spend a lot of time on that one. Red wedding, right? I mean, yeah, that, I think yeah. it's pretty. Yeah. Now, do you do you understand the significance of the leg of the lamb and the iron crown? Uh, no, because uh, that other... that seems very like pointed, and and maybe right. I'm just missing some some symbolic meaning here. I, like the crown, I was thinking, you know, like um, iron, you know, is one of those things that hurts the others, and and that we talked a lot about iron, um. In terms of Hodor taking the sword out of the crypts of Winterfell, and just that it would be something that you know, I th- yeah, I don't really know exactly, and I'd have to go maybe, maybe look up more. I kind of, I don't know, you know, it is it's it's why iron and 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 not not something else. Yeah, uh, and I the lamb, the lamb is is I don't know. That's yeah, I didn't yeah. know maybe if it was a you know like of a lamb as a sacrificial lamb to then make, um, you know. Get to achieve a crown I, I just don't i don't know i don't know i when i hear iron i immediately think of the iron islands but i think it's a little too on point but i read the you know you get through it and like you said it's like oh it's red wedding but that last that last little bit i read it like yeah. three times during the reread and i just was like i feel like there's something here i'm missing and it might be very on the nose like it could just be oh well this sacrifice lamb whatever um so that's one that i'm a little curious about send us a read yeah yeah send us a read on that for sure yes yeah yeah and like i mean Again, they're so well written that it's we're meant to. I think we're meant to go at that and say, "Oh yeah, surface level red wedding," and we're trying to say that's why we brought up Patch Face and Ghost of High Heart. What more is there that we're not seeing? What what's something else that uh, those things could could symbolize? Yeah, it's, you don't you put it in for a reason. You know, you're holding um, a leg of lamb for for a reason, and you have an iron crown for a reason. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Okay, uh, so that was point number two. Point number three, she remembered those great wooden beams and the carved. So she comes across uh, another kind of um, room door here, right? Great wooden beams, um, the carved animal faces that adorned them, and there outside the window, a lemon tree. Uh, The sight of it made her heart ache with longing. It is the house with the red 
door, the house in Bravos. No sooner had she thought it uh, than old Sir Willem came into the room, leaning heavily on his stick. Little princess, there you are, he said in his gruff voice. Come, he said, come to me, my lady. You're home now. You're safe now. Um, you know, this one, now you think about this for a second, right? What's the mystery? What's the symbolism? What's the, you know, what, what, is, what is she seeing there? Is this not, I mean, he's dead, which is what she thinks right afterwards, which is, wait, 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 wait. Sir William is, is uh, Willem is dead. We, we know he's been dead for a long time. Why does this come up? And you think back to Pyatt Priest saying, well, you may see things from the past. Um, you may see things, days that never were. That's the, that, this is the one where I thought, uh, these are days that never were. Um, my friend, I've gone as far, uh, like uh, the, the craziness on this to say, she so vividly remembers a red door and, and a lemon tree that it almost wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me if that was some type of, if we're going to introduce, get introduced to another power later on where it's a memory block. And it is literally just put in there for something. That door and that lemon tree is covering a past that she is blocking out. Or it's just so. It's I don't know. It's it's yeah, so this is, majorly focused on. I, yeah, yeah. This is the point where uh, you know people point. Oh well, it's just referencing and the only time she ever had a home or something like that. This is the point that is, in my opinion, like the most confusing. Yeah, like the lemon tree seems extraordinarily important <laughs> in this and obviously mm -hmm. the red door um but i yeah i am not sure i i don't know if this is just to give us a little jarring you know image into her past with you know sir william or whatnot but uh yeah. willem but uh i'm not totally sure uh th this is a very confusing one for me well and the other thing i mean yeah it's just i wish we had more from viserys remembering yeah. this and we don't which is why i y you have their them tracking through various free cities and you don't it seems like this was maybe the first place that willem took them and so this will this will get into a whole other conversation which i don't want to do right now but like it just does not add up that like then they then then after he dies, you become the beggar, you know, the beggar king with with your brother Viserys, and then you move through through the free cities, like, and yeah. then you get back to this point. Um, it and then the, the, yeah, they ultimately it comes back full circle, and you could people talk about the the Sea Lord of Bravos and how that has changed, and and how does um Illyrio uh fit into that? Was was he a former Sea Lord? Um. All, all of those things, you know, there's some mystery surrounding him and, and his involvement or, or his knowledge of the, of the Sea Lord of Bravos and, you know, all, all of that. I mean, not to get into all of it, but you guys know lemon trees don't grow in Bravos, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, unless someone's super rich, maybe, and they, and they bring them, they import them or something like that. But it seems to be uh, like she's misremembering. Uh, we actually have a raven. I'm not going to bring it up this. This uh, we actually have, we have a great raven, by the way. Stick, stick around at the end of the show um, from Lady Abigail. But we have another raven where folks are talking about the page of lies that when Danny, all of the lies on the page, like just the the misconceptions and maybe misrememberings that she has of her childhood. And you're like, OK, I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, this could definitely play a add role. up. Yeah, this could definitely play a role. Um you know, obviously there's some Dorn influence uh, when they talk about the, the Sea Lord and all that stuff. But yeah, um, 
it, it does make you think it makes you think that like why would she see this at this time in this place and it might just be as simple as her remembering the last time she felt safe it really yeah. could just be that yeah 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 it could be it, yeah absolutely and you know, I do, I do, though, for some reason, I get, I think her past is way more mysterious. I'm going to talk to you guys about that in a second when we get to this next vision um, about her brother. So, I mean, we'll, is we'll she a Targaryen? Of, I'm telling you right now, we've been calling fake Aegon, oh, you know, no, uh, Fagon, it's, it's, it's fake Danny is what, I, is what I'm, <laughs> hashtag it, I don't know, I mean, oh gosh, all right. Uh, point number four, finally a great pair of bronze doors appeared to her left, grander than the rest. They swung open as she neared, and she had to stop and look. Beyond loomed a cavernous stone hall, the largest she had ever seen. The skulls of dead dragons looked down from its walls. Upon a towering barbed throne sat an old man in rich robes, an old man with dark eyes and long silvery gray hair. Uh, let him be king over charred bones and cooked meat. Uh, he said to the man below him, let him be the king of ashes. And, you know, I uh, uh, will point out the obvious connections, which are uh, Mad King, right? Um, King's Landing, yeah. Wildfire, talking to the Pyromancer, and burn them. Burn them all. Jamie Lannister gives us perspective on that later on uh, when he reveals maybe why he, you know, which vows, which vows do you keep? Sir Jamie, you know, to protect the weak and innocent, protect the king yeah. at all cost. Which one? Which one? That's, that's a that's a conundrum, isn't it? I love I, it. I think, I think it's an obvious, you know, uh, direct a direct memory uh, of what her father became, and yeah. that I think that's what we're seeing here. Yeah, and it, it's you know, are there lessons that she needs to learn going through this? Are there days, you know, um, seeing into the past? We know looking at history can help us. When you get into what may come in future, every wise sage I've ever come across, my friend, right, has taught me that the future is always in motion, right? right. It, was, it was told to Luke Skywalker on Dagobah, all right? Yoda said to him, right, he says to him that the future is always in motion. So, friends, uh, I think we, it's, because you go back and forth here. You have days that maybe never were. You have past days, and then you have things which seem like they are things that may come in the future. So, um, yeah. yeah. And, it, and, and, you know, before she goes in, she's kind of told that this, this is not set in stone. Yeah. So that's right. That's right. It's not. Yes. Um, all right. Point five, uh, Viserys was her first thought. So she comes across another room here, uh, when she, when she pauses next, but a second glance. So she's looking in this room. She thinks Viserys, but a second glance told her otherwise. The man had her brother's hair, but he was taller, and his eyes were a dark indigo rather than lilac. Aegon, he said to a woman nursing a newborn babe in a great wooden bed. What better name for a king? Uh, the woman says, will you make a song for him? He has a song, the man replied. He is the prince that was promised, and his is the song of ice and fire. He looked up when he said it, and his eyes met Danny's, and it seemed as if he saw her standing there beyond the door. Um, somebody hold the door for crying out loud. My gosh. <laughs> uh, there, there must be one more, he said. And he's, you know, he's looking at her. What? Uh, though whether he was speaking to her or the woman in bed, she could not say. See, right there, 
he is looking at her when he says this. There must be one more. Whether he was speaking to her or the woman in bed, uh, she could not say. The dragon has three heads. He went to the window seat, picked up a harp, and ran his fingers lightly over its silvery strings. Sweet sadness filled the room as a man, as man and wife and babe faded like the morning mist. Uh, only the music lingering behind to speed her on her way. So, this is interesting. If this is, so let's get in. This is where I'm going to go into a little bit of a rabbit hole. Ah, uh, Rhaegar, right? It's Rhaegar. Um... Talking to Elia, Elia Martel, and it's their second child, Aegon, um, who we believe, who it's told to us, uh, Tywin. I mean, I mean, Prince Oberyn's all pissed when he comes to King's Landing later. Why? Because you raped and murdered Elia Martel and her children. You killed them, right? And yeah. you brutally murdered them. So there are three heads to the dragon. He believes that, um, Rainey's his eldest daughter, who is Dornish, um, and his now son, um, who is Aegon. And according to the council of 101 AC, uh, even though he has an older sister, he will sit the throne because he is the firstborn son, um, of Elia Martel and Rhaegar. So Aegon will sit the throne, but there needs to be one more. And you could say, is that, is that the whole setup for a, um, Elia Martel was weak, childbirth, we know all these different things. We've, we've discussed these at length, that she was unable to have another child, and Rhaegar needed to have, um, needed to have, you know, another child, and so is it with Lyanna, you know, and is that John? Is, is that, is that the case? Is, is that what this is kind of, you know, talking about? But, my friend, hold everything. Was he talking to Elia or was he talking, and by the way, I'm throwing the word, I'm saying Rhaegar and I'm saying Elia, it's not even said. It is not even said there as to, as to who this is. But I think it, we all think it kind of fits. Um, is he saying this to Elia, there needs to be another? Or is he saying this to Danny or something else that he, that he saw? Uh, it's a vision. There needs to be another. Like, from their line, um... This is prophesied by the ghost of High Heart that the prince that was promised would come uh, of of this direct line, right? This is you know you get to the tragedy of Summerhall, the whole the whole thing uh, is is going on there. Rhaegar being born there, uh, the magic surrounding that, and, and everything. Well, we know um, that the prince that was promised is not coming from Viserys' line. Uh, he's dead. He's he was wearing his golden molten crown and he's gone. But if Danny is born to the Mad King. And, and, the, and the prince or princess that is promised is coming through that line. Why does it have to be Rhaegar? You know, why not Danny? And, you know, because yeah. like, you think about some of these things and you think, okay, well, yeah, Ray, it's clearly Rhaegar was the one. It's going to come through him and his children. That's where the prince, um, that's where the three heads of the dragon, they're gonna, they have to come through him. And it's like, I don't know about that. She has three freaking dragons. She you does. And, she is and, the princess that's promised. It's what yeah, Eamon says to us later. That's right. And if you think about it, um, the, the dragons don't really have uh, a gender. They're male and nor yes. female. And and I'm pulling that from the quote, and it's in the doc here uh, from Samuel. I'll actually just read it. It's from A Feast yeah. uh, for Crows. It says, The air crept in from the translation. Dragons are neither male nor female. Barth saw the truth of that, but now... But now one and now the other as changeable as flame. 
The language misled us all for a thousand years. Daenerys is the one born amidst salt and smoke. The dragons prove it. And I think that's Aemon speaking to yeah. uh, Sam. Well, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yep. yep. So that is a little bit. I mean, but who knows? Maybe Aemon's wrong. But this is to say that, you know, we keep thinking that John is, is the prince who was promised. But uh, that was promised. But maybe it is actually Daenerys. That, that's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's um, uh, there is uh, and actually let's see here, there is another um, idea behind this that the song of ice and fire, that's a different thing, uh, possibly. People believe that it's that the song of ice and fire that it's, this is you can go a lot of different ways uh, trains of thought here. John is, if he is born of Lyanna and Rhaegar, fire and ice, ice and fire, he mm -hmm. is the offspring of that. So his song um, would be a song of ice and fire. Well, Rhaegar just told us that the prince that was promised is right here, like Aegon. Like, it's, it's kind of saying, you know, does he have a song? And he says his song is the song of ice and fire. Well, I, I mean, like, it seems like it's fire and fire. It seems like you've got Dorn, uh, a, a fiery people, uh, you know, a, a dry place. I don't see the ice in this song yet. And so yes. is he wrong? Is there something off here? Um, needs to be born of ice and fire, unless that's not, you know, I mean, there's no reason for him to name a second son Aegon when he has a son named Aegon with Elia Martell. So that's why we assume this person that Danny's seeing is... Rhaegar and Elia, not Rhaegar and um, Lyanna. Yeah. So, because sometimes you would go to that, you say, "Oh yeah, it's just that's that's him," you know, hooking up with um, with with Lyanna. That is the song of ice and fire. Um, and but then you have the line where Rhaegar's looking at Danny and saying, uh, "There needs to be one more." So, also, if you have these three heads of the dragon and you have these individuals, so. People talk about the idea that, um, well, you go back to Aegon, the Conqueror, and his two sister wives, and three heads to that to, to that um, system, that that kind of group coming in, conquering Westeros. Like, where do we see that in in this group? They're dead, man. Rhaegar's dead, as far as we know, unless he's Mance Raider. Like, um, his children died. I mean, if you look at the facts that are given to us, we, is is John some just the, like an offspring? Um, this is Fagon real even let's just let's go through this for a second if Fagon is Aegon he's Aegon okay right there we go and then we've got John okay you could have what, what I've seen people say is you have a two brothers one born to different mothers and you have a situation where in the dance of dragon dragons with Viserys you have two children born um, to Targaryens Rhaenyra uh, born to uh, her mother, Emma Aaron, and then you have um, Aegon II, born to Alicent Hightower, and you have a war of, you have a dance of dragons, right? Um, yeah. So is that something, do, is the princess that was promised something that we're missing? It's sliding in behind kind of Rhaegar and what he thought was the setup, but really what he's setting up is actually a dance of dragons between a you know a future um, John or uh, Jaharis, whatever his name might be, uh, and and his other and his brother, his half brother Fagon, who's coming across the way, or is that guy really dead? And that's actually Fagon. You know, if the people who say that, well, he's Fagon. 
Well, then none of this really makes, it doesn't matter. Rhaenyra's is dead. Everything that Rhaegar was planning here is done. Uh, the heads of the dragon are, are, are no more. I mean, like, like yeah. Rhaenys, Aegon, gone. And you could say, well, John's left over. Okay. And then you have John and Danny, and everyone from there has tried to say, well, okay, maybe that's John, Danny, and then who else can we kind of throw in there? People are throwing in Tyrion and these other folks. <laughs> it just doesn't work because we have three dragons. We have a princess that's promised, and but we're trying to make it all fit with Rhaegar. And Rhaegar might just have gotten it wrong. Aemon says that. We misinterpret it. It's not a prince. It's a princess. You yeah. know, and so... And, yeah. you know, that's prophecy. And we already talked about earlier in the episode, we talked about how that changes the lens of everything that happens in these characters' relationships. And Rhaegar was definitely blinded by prophecy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and exactly. He, he, his whole, I think, I think Rhaegar, and we'll find out later, that he probably struggles a lot with the tragedy at Summerhall and his birth and what was, what um, Aegon um, from the Duncan Egg series was trying to do at Summer Hall and were they trying to raise dragons and what actually happened there. I think he feels a greater burden and he looks to those prophecies and tries to see himself fulfilling them and he's almost forcing it, right? You're almost saying it's not just going to happen naturally. I'm going to make it happen. Elia, we're going to have three children. Well, I can only have two. Then I'll go get someone else. Like he's taking it into his own hands prophecy it and that's the thing are you trying to uh we see it in other series when people try to come forward and they're like no i am the fulfillment of this prophecy and i'm going to do yep. these things and i'm going to will my way to complete the steps and the signs that oh okay well hold, hold on a second that's is it meant to be how many people could do that though i mean are there other people who could fit the same profile um and just will their way into you know kind of mirroring what that prophecy has foretold. And this is this is why the tournament at Heron Hall is is everything because we have to know how Liana became the one not just the choice but like how that relationship really came to be. Because yeah. if it is just for prophecy and whatnot, I mean it's very unlikely that Rhaegar and Liana were madly in love. Uh now could they have fallen in love after the prophecy or maybe she had green dreams that led her to that I don't know. That that that's like the most big that's the most outstanding question that we have. Which, I have to be honest, is one of the reasons why I'm really excited the fact that they're going to do a Robert's Rebellion TV show and George is supposed to be working with that. So I think we might actually get the answer to Heron Hall, um, you know, mm -hmm. whether it be mm -hmm. through TV or for the later books or, or what, it, what have you. So Right. Right. And actually, I'm going to do something kind of, uh, again, a little. Uh, no, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Um, a little unorthodox here. We're going to, in the doc that you and I are in, we're going to skip point six, which is about um going into the great hall splendored wizards all these different things we're going to skip that point and we're going to go down to point number if you get to scroll a little bit here seven um point seven point eight point nine we're just talking about Rhaegar. we just finished the conversation with him later in this chapter um we are uh we are going to yeah let me, let me hit this point and then then we're gonna yeah um so let's see. Yeah, we are going to talk about Rhaegar real quickly. So rubies flew like drops of blood from the chest of a dying prince, and he sank to his knees in the water and with his last breath murmured a woman's name, mother of dragons, daughter of death. He, 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 he murmured a woman's name. Uh, who? Is that Rhaegar? Is that him? I mean, Rhaegar's death at the hands of 
robber. I mean, ru rubies are flying uh, like drops of blood from the chest of a dying prince. That's Rhaegar. That's 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 Robert. What was the name that he was saying? What what was the woman's name? You know, mother um, of dragons, daughter of death. Yeah. What? Would he say Daenerys? I, you, you, you right. would think it'd be Lyanna. Yeah. You'd think it'd be right. Lyanna. That's what you're thinking. That's why. But it's why. never been about Lyanna. It's never been yeah. about Lyanna. It's about him yeah. fulfilling the prophecy. And did something come to let? I mean, why at that moment would he utter? And and I'm assuming that it's Daenerys, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. what at that moment before his death made him think? Like, was there some revelation? Mm -hmm. Fascinating. It is fascinating. I buy in sometimes to the idea. People can you can say what you want about Daenerys Stormborn, but um, you know she is. You can say what was she really born of? You know, storm was she? Um, like like was she really born there on Dragonstone? I don't know. I I I I I'm okay with people challenging that and thinking. You know what? Maybe. Um, maybe there's something more to this. And you look right at this again. I'll read it again. Rubies flew like drops of blood from the chest of a dying prince. He sank to his knees in the water, okay? Um, and with his last breath, murmured a woman's name. Mother of dragons, daughter of death is just a phrase that said, is that what he's actually saying? Mother of dragons, daughter of death? Um, or did he say someone's name? Did he say Elia? Did he say Liana? Did he say Daenerys? I mean... There are folks who think that that there is something else going on that, um, and I don't know. You you can go well. George has confirmed that that R plus L equals J, and it's it's done. It's over. This is it's you know whatever. But I look at this and I say, what 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 is it? What does this mean? I mean, is he talking about um, you know why wouldn't he be thinking about? Does he realize in this moment that he is um, he's seeing? clearly is a vision given to him and he sees now that this is the mother of dragons daughter of death um or does he by the way you guys have got to go check out the youtube version of this podcast because we just pulled a veteran move on you guys and you'll never know unless you go check out the video on youtube and subscribe okay sorry <laughs> <laughs> um, but like i just keep thinking to myself that there's more to denary's backstory she yes. may have, she is born around the exact same time. There's a bunch of age debates about like how much older is she than John? Is she older than John? They're very, very, very close. And George has had issues with the timeline and, and timing things up. And he's, he's had to make corrections in the past. And he's had to say, yeah, Tyrion did do a somersault. My bad. I, I, whatever. And then later on, he can barely hobble through the, you know, King's Landing. I, he, he, things, things change, but he has an idea here for, this person that that Rhaegar as he's dying is saying this person's name so I don't know man I think that's I think that's a fascinating one right there and I wanted to jump ahead to tie it into this conversation where he's talking about the prince that was promised believing at the time that it's Rhaegar now he's seeing the mother of dragons and the daughter of death and and I'm just going to throw something out there really quickly, and it's probably easily dispelled. Uh, I am not an expert per se. So if someone has the answer to this, or maybe as you do, um, is there any ever been any speculation that Daenerys would have is actually Rainey's? Ooh. Um, so, okay. Actually, you're on, you're on, you're on a good thought. Not necessarily Rainey's, but um, that she may be. Um, that she may be Rhaegar's. 
uh, not sister, but Th- that's kind of what I'm getting at. That's yeah, what I'm getting daughter. at. Yes. Um, and so, yes, uh, that's, that's what I was, what I was kind of, uh, you know, hinting at people will call it, um, I'm sure I'm gonna get Ravens about this. You nut job. You, you what the what you know, <laughs> seven hells are you trying to bring up here? In the early day, I mean, people were looking for for things like that. You know, before the show comes out and before you get all this R plus L confirmed with Dan and Dave and I mean, well, you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. I throw that out the window. You, you and have you look to. at you have to you have to look at the clues in the books and you have to look at this guy is still writing the books. He's not gonna give away every damn secret. Like he is, yeah. he, he has twists and turns. It is still his story. And by the way, he is revising Winds of Winter. So I don't, I really, at that point, once he told me well, he's changing stuff, I said, all right, it's, it's, we're not, we're not, we're not done yet. And uh, yeah, people, and, uh, one, 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 one real, real quick point. Yeah. Based upon clues in the story, people were hinting, people were saying, are there hints that she is not actually the Mad King's daughter? Um, You know, and that, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I. But then there's the why was she on Dragon? Did was she on Dragonstone? Why wouldn't Viserys know more about this? Um, Sir Willem, you have you know yeah they're secreted away. Uh, it's kind of confirmed by the Mad King that yes he did let his children go to, but like his wife is pregnant at the time of the siege of King's Landing. But over in the Tower of Joy, John is being born, or maybe she was just born, and the, you, you got to go look at the timeline on it. And I know there's debates on on what happened first and the timing of all that. But yeah, sorry. Just wanted to make that kind of clear. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just, uh, I, I throw out everything in the show at this point because there's no Fagon. Okay. Yeah. There's no, there's no Fagon and whether or not he's a red herring, all this other stuff, it doesn't really matter because just the omission of him in the show then completely changes the dynamic of this prophecy and what we saw in the house of the undying. Uh, so I'm not sitting here saying that Fagon's real. I'm not gonna. I'm, those are semantics. Um, I'm just saying that there's enough diversion from the story that was related to us in the show that uh, might as well just throw it out of our head cannon if, if we're gonna be, you know, t- thinking about the winds of winter and beyond, uh, specifically as it pertains to Danny and her story with John and her heritage. Yada yada yada. It's all still yeah. up for debate. Yeah, it is, which is why I folks think um, there's there is an old podcast. Uh, they're, they're still doing a, a good YouTube page. Um, I know they get in major debates and they get major hate sometimes from the community. But Order of the Green Hand um, has alternative takes on a lot of these different things. And you know what? I love a good alternative take. Yeah. I, I know people hate that. Like, well, I can't believe we've gotten some major flack for reading ravens that people i always try to help a theory fit in the best way that i can and i'm not perfect and i don't i don't know the ins and outs of this like like a lot of the other content creators but i know enough to try to say if i see a raven come through that ah, i mean it needs a little work or like it has some some flaw i try to make it work and, and fit um and they have a lot of really good um points now they are hypothesizing some things and they're trying they're filling in gaps that are not filled in um, with their own kind of, this is maybe this could have happened, but there's no textual evidence for some of what they say. But still, I think it's all up for debate, and I still love um, you know having the conversation about all these things. So absolutely. All right, a um, couple other things we can back up a little bit here. Earlier on in that chapter, um, you do have when she enters the hall, back to like point six. So beyond the door, great hall, splendid wizards. You've got. This almost seems like she goes into the hall there. There's music being played. There's a kingly man in rich robes. It's almost like she went into a, she enters the house of the undying. We are the undying of Karth, right? Long have we awaited, long have we awaited you. 
We knew you were going to come to us. Um, we sent the comet to show you the way. Bull crap. Stop yeah. it. You didn't do that. All right. You know, fake news. Uh, fake, yeah. We have knowledge to share with you and magic weapons to arm you with. You have passed every trial. Um, so, you know, this is one of those things where, like, can you trust somebody who said we sent the comet? Well, you have people who want to convince you that you should trust us. We're going to try to slide something past you quick about a comet, which might make you believe us more and think that we have more power and things like that. Um, but we want you eating out of our hand. And we're also going to arm you with knowledge and information and weaponry. Um, she quickly sees that as a, this is not, this is not exactly where I need to be. Um, yeah. So she, she, let's see here. Uh, now come with us. And, and all of your questions shall be answered. She took a step forward, but then Drogon leapt from her shoulder. He flew to the top of the ebony and wood door, perched there, and began to bite at the carved wood. A willful beast laughed a handsome young man. Uh, shall we teach you the secret speech of dragonkind? Come, come. The entire... Um, so this all is... I, I think she's seeing this, and then it's time for her to kind of... She'll move into another room here that seems like the undying in their true form. This is an illusion. You know, they're the same, the king and the woman with the breast that's open and the perfect breast that's just exposed. You'll see it later. Um, it's it's this, the same people are described, but they're the actual um, undying. There's a heart that's kind of pulsing with purple-blue light. And um, then you'll actually see the undying who are still who are dead, but remember what's dead may never die, my friends. This is the house of the undying, okay? Let's go. I know, right? I mean, who, who would have thought the Ironborn would, would have such a clutch, um, you, know, uh, you know, clutch words? Uh, so after these visions are done, yeah, she, she finally meets the true undying, withered dead shadows that speak only in uh, riddles. So let's see. The shape. Um, hmm. There are more here. Three. Oh, this is where they. Okay. Once we see these, the, the true undying, this is where you get into all of these things that she very quickly, they're muttering things like um, three fires you must light one for life, one for death, one, one to love. Right. Yeah. They say that three mounts you must ride one to bed, one to dread, one to love three treasons you will know once for blood, once for gold, once for love. Um, so these are these kind of riddles that uh you know that that she's that she's faced with from the undying uh then and i don't know i mean thoughts on some of those i guess like there are there is speculation on each of these just that you know what, what are the fires that she must light you know um actual fires that that she that she that she must light is, is it really the one that gave birth to her dragons um you know, is is it something that she's going to do later on in the series uh, to other people? She sets a few slavers on fire. I mean, she does. Yeah, that that's uh, for me. I think that's like the one for death, right? Whenever she yeah. burns the slavers, that was probably it. That, that at mm -hmm. least in my mind. Yeah, and also you you could even see, and here's where you could say it's even for love as well of her dragons and people and the love of the like she sets them ablaze. You know. Um, you could. Yep. I, I'm just saying. You could kind of go different different directions. I either way. So so how are you supposed to something that's so minimal and we're supposed to kind of make meaning out of it? 
that's why George does it so he can go any direction he 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 wants to. Yeah, it's so, very vague. Yeah. Yeah. Uh three mounts you must ride. Um people talk, you know, one to bed, one to dread, one to love. The 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 one for love could be Cal Drogo, right? Uh the one the, the dread Drogon that seems to be, right? That one you're going to ride that is uh the black dread possibly come back again. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh one to bed uh, being his dar, maybe not really in love, but I'm just making alliances. I, I would even say we haven't actually seen that one quite yet, I, even though she, that could yeah. be something else. Other alliances, you've got Euron, you've got um, Fagon, Fagon. Um, yeah. I, I see. I always thought the one to dread would be his dar, actually, because she, she doesn't want to do it. Uh, okay. She's kind of yeah. dreading it. And then I think the one, one to love, we think it's called Drogo, but like, Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, well, yeah, maybe not. Yeah, it could be one of our dragons. It could be yeah. someone we haven't met yet. Exactly. Yes. And Dario, I think could Dario. be the one. Could be the one to bed because she thinks he's handsome, but she knows that he's like he's dangerous, right? Yeah. And then she doesn't know if she can trust him, so but she obviously wants to be with him physically. So I kind of think tie him to the one to bed, the one to dread, uh, being his dart, and then the one to love. It could absolutely be Kyle Drogo, and that case is closed here. But it also could be totally different. Um, I also wonder that when she gets to King's Landing, if there isn't some sort of a wedding to coincide power and things like that. So I'm not totally convinced that we haven't seen the last of Danny having to make sacrifices with her love life to uh, maintain power, especially when she gets to Westeros. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and let's, let's look at some of these uh, treasons, for example. Um, when you look at those, like one of them, I'll, I'll pop to one here once for love what she's portrayed once for love. People are thinking Dario, but I'm also thinking like that uh, you're, you're betrayed once for love. People will say the once for gold. Well, that was, um, you know, that that was Sir Jorah. But I mean, I don't know. It could be. That could be Dario. That, that could be. It could. Uh, Dario could be a guy who we think he's, I think he's smart. I think he sees we can't beat this, this person. Like, I think he's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm. He's been around. This guy, I mean, he's a smooth talker, man. He is not, I, I don't know that he truly loves her. You know what I mean? I think he's, he's he a soul sword at the end of the day. I mean, yes, exactly, exactly. And he's, he's done this before. He's very experienced and he's rising to power. He saw an opportunity. He takes it. And, and there's that. You could say the once for love that, that she's going to be betrayed once for love. That could be, that could be, if you want to look at the show, John, way down the line. You could look way down the line at the end of the series that she's, she's betrayed for love or whatever. I mean, yeah. So I think the more and more I, I look into the three heads of the dragon, especially rereading this chapter, I'm I'm really and we don't have to go down this rabbit hole, but I'm really not convinced that John and Danny are gonna be together in the books in a relationship. I actually really just I just don't see it. Me neither. But maybe yep. I'm wrong. No, me neither. And I, I only that's that's the thing too. Whoever that is that is going to if Danny does if it goes even close, who fills the role of John? Is it um Aegon? Is it Euron? Is it so, who does she maybe fall in love with? Um, is, is it is it Jorah? Does Jorah have to, in the end, realize that this woman that he loves has gone mad? You know, and he has to, like, would, would true love take over? And would he need to kill the one? You know what I mean? I So, I, you just, I don't know. It We haven't seen that yet. And I, I totally don't think the show is correct in the whole John-Danny relationship. I don't. I don't, I don't. I don't know if that's... There's too much going on with Val. There's too much happening. They're too far away. It's too much. It is too 
Yeah. There's two different things going on. Those two are going to come to a head, and I do not believe it's going to be to let's get married and bang. I don't yeah. think that's going to happen. And, and, I, but I, don't and know. I, I like to postulate that uh, I believe that Danny's role, whether she's the princess that was promised or whatever, I mean, it has to all tie into the others, right? Like that is the foundation. Like these prophecies and, and everything Rhaegar went through, it, it didn't actually have everything to do with just who sits on the Iron Throne. I think the show definitely wanted us to believe that. And we know that they diverted a lot of the storylines and the characters because of what was popular in getting ratings. We know that with Braun uh, and other things in the show. And they kind of wanted to go away from a lot of the fantastical stuff to relay it more to the common folk who maybe don't love fantasy. But I think it's very important to realize that at the heart of this story, and we know it through, you know, the very first thing we see in a Game of Thrones, it's all about the struggle of good and evil of the others versus humanity. So there's really no way that these prophecies don't somehow not only tie into the power struggle that goes on in Westeros, but for all of, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, you know, humanity here. So I think somehow this all has to also tie into who is going to deal with the others. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think I think you're right. Um, and we have some references here even to the others like we're referencing stuff in this chapter that is the end of the damn series. So, I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah. I mean, this is one of the most monumental chapters in all of the book series as, as we know it today. Yeah. All right. A couple more things and we'll kind of um, let's, let's see where these take us. Well, let's read these and you guys can if you want to send us ravens about these, uh, you want to talk more in depth about one of these. I think that would be fantastic. Um, we have, uh, we have the Viserys, you know, he's screaming, uh, molten gold crown running down his cheeks, filled his mouth. You know, that's his death. That's days past. Um, a tall Lord with copper skin and silver gold hair stood beneath the banner of a fiery stallion, uh, a burning city behind him. Um, days that maybe never, never were, um, maybe something to come. Uh, yeah. Um, then I already went over the rubies uh, with with uh, Rhaegar and what's happening there. Uh, the woman's name that he is murmuring with his very last breath. Uh, then we get into point number 10. Here's where I'm at on the dock. Uh, glowing like sunlight, a red sword was raised in the hand of a blue-eyed king who cast no shadow. That's big now reference this. to... Yeah, what, what is a reference to? What do you well, think? I, I, uh, I mean... I think we're wrong. I think I think I think uh, we've thought about Azora High wrong. I think we've thought about the Night King wrong. I think we've got maybe there's a big turn coming here, and I mean air quote turn. Uh, somebody's going to be turned, and it, it may be um, could be the one true king, Stannis himself. Uh, it, it could be someone else, John. Uh, things can I don't know, man. There's uh, yeah. What do you I'm, think? I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. And the more I think about it and, you know, I looked at this doc and I, I, I kind of read forward a little bit. I, I'll be honest, the more I think about this, you know, the red sword and what Melisandre has promised him and then thinking about where he is in the series and everything I could see Stannis. I know we talk about like the Night King and there is none in the books or whatever, but I could see Stannis, you know, not casting a shadow, kind of a, a ghostly feature blue eyes to kind of signify yeah. uh, signify the others and the white walkers right and stannis is is constantly referred to as george as the king basically nobody loves him the mm -hmm. realm ha the realm might respect stannis baratheon but there is no love for stannis baratheon within the people they always loved his brothers they love renly they loved robert and, and it bothers him it really 
really yeah. bothers him. It does. So yeah. if he were to fall and to be resurrected or to, to, to be turned, it would make a lot of sense for the man who, who tried to do the right thing, right? And to, yeah. was turned away by these people he wanted to lead and, and to do right by to come back in a vengeance as the Night King. Well, yes. Uh, the one element, I, I know people hate this, but one element from the show, remember when Danny is watching John be praised and King of the North and everyone mm -hmm. being real, and she's like, wait a second, what about me? You put Stannis in that situation where he's the guy who, wait, I saved everybody yeah. up at the wall. I came down yeah. and liberate, and you're all flocking to this guy, Melisandre. Now you've left me as well, and you're 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 with John and you've resurrected him. I mean, what am I now? I'm just, you know, I see a turn, you know, I, coming. Um I look and I it it could even be whether Melisandre and his wife did something without him with Shireen and Patchface uh, Patchface or he he does that himself. Uh Davos has hinted very strongly that he is that he's his man, but he is like Stannis is like conscious and and what is keeping him whole he, he's losing it and davos is the one who's trying to help him recall it and remember yeah. it and you know and davos davos is away from him when davos is a, yep. you know cuz the the irony is i got to keep melisandre close yep my friend you got to keep davos close and he Come doesn't on. you know Come right on. Yeah. So it's the same thing with the direwolves. Like you talk about closeness and proximity as, as you move pieces around. Uh, Catelyn always saying, keep those direwolves close, pay attention to them. Davos is the guy for Stannis that he should be keeping close. And, and he doesn't, what, what is the realm worth? And, and like he, they talk about the, um, Edric storm, uh, when we're, when Courtney Penrose is, is held up there at, at storm's end and he wants this boy. Um, and he's just like, is he really, is it really worth, you know, like basically, one life, if, if it meant the life of Edric Storm, Stannis would say it's one it's one boy for a realm of people. What you know, Danny's yeah. talking to Davos about that, and Davos is like, literally, you know, sire, it is it is actually that one boy's life. That it, it's it's his life is the realm. It's worth it. Like that's what it's about is is sparing him and saving him and doing what's right. And oh man, it's um yeah. So, anyways, something there in in terms of this um glowing like sunset. A red sword was raised in the hand of a blue-eyed king who cast no shadow. And to take a less tinfoil approach, this there's a good chance that it is signifying Stannis Baratheon being the you know fake Azor high, and casting no shadow being the foreshadowing that he is going to die. So th there is like yeah. you know he's coming, yes. but he will not last. He will not exist. Well, so that's probably the more uh, uh, grounded approach to that. But I, I just think Stannis is a really interesting character, and also you have to look at it. You know, when we read a book. And there's POVs. There's a reason for those POVs and how they have payoffs and they have developments and, and evolution. Uh, Davos's chapters will only become more important and more interesting the more we see Stannis degrade. George picked That's Davos true. as a POV for a reason. That's true. That's true. He did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're. Uh, yeah. I've. That's a really good point. I've always thought about um, why we like Davos so much. He's such a likable character. And we forget we see a lot of Stannis, but we see him through the lens of Davos. Mm -hmm. And then it'll shift later on, but it'll be John. And you got to pay attention who we're looking th through, the lens we're looking through. One other thing with uh, Stannis real quick is just Melisandre, all she does is work shadow. She does shadow work around him. All she does, she has separated that man from his shadow, and she's used his shadow to kill his brother uh, and his shadow babies to kill Courtney Penrose. So like, there's tons of shadow work going on uh, around that uh, individual. So I love, I like entertaining 
you know, that idea. Yeah. Um, next up, we have like a, a cloth, a cloth dragon swayed on poles uh, amidst a cheering crowd. You know, this will tie into what Quay's um, warning about uh, the, the mummer's dragon, a false dragon, um, a dragon who's held up on poles and it's fake and it's moving through a, you know, it's being it's being cheered on. Uh, what does that foreshadow? Uh, she's warned by Quaith about that, and she sees it in the House of the Undying. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I think people can kind of speculate on that, whether it be Fagon, uh, someone else, who, who knows? Um, Maybe a celebration of a wedding between the two. Yeah, exactly. It, it could be. It could. It really could be. Um, I, I've long believed that Cersei Lannister will be well out of King's Landing. Um, I'm with you, hundred percent right? with you. Yeah, yep. I, I think that's. That's done. People forget in the Winds of Winter chapters that could have that could already be revised. Um, Aegon has uh, uh, young Griff. Aegon has already went. Uh, Ariana Martell has already gone to I think Storm's End, and he's already left to go meet Mance on the field. Mance was sent, and at the end of uh, Feast Dragon, uh, v- Varys is uh, he's creating turmoil. He kills uh, Kevin uh, Kevin Lannister. Cersei's made her walk of shame. I mean, it is not looking good. There could be a whole Septa Baylor situation. Who freaking knows? But the whole point is, uh, Young Griff's already on the field. He's already marching, and he's got the Golden Company, and he's got others. There is an army waiting at the edge of Dorne that I wouldn't be surprised if Ariana says, let me show you my support. Let's make this alliance happen. Let me back the right person. Now, you know, like maybe uh, King's Landing is weak. The time is right um she knows she's got the sand snakes you know what i mean she could send i think it's at the um it's at a certain pass and the army is waiting there and if she on her father i mean she at one point could push them forward and 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 tell her father send your troops i've made an alliance i've made um something for house martell yeah this makes a lot of sense and also you know obviously they hate the lannisters but on top of this you know, with there being two Targaryens now known to the people, uh, whether or not Aegon, Fagon's real or not, uh, what if word gets back that Oberyn has been killed by the dragons? I mean, yeah, oh boy. that's, you know, we're back in yeah. this, we're back in this track. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think you're onto something there. Well, exactly. And so you, you talk about rumor and stuff. So yeah, he's already tried to make an alliance. You've already seen stuff with him. It was hinted at in this chapter with, with Danny and Viserys, well, we don't know about Danny, but we know with with Viserys, uh, a marriage pact that was that was attempted between Varys or uh, Viserys and and uh, Dorne. Um, that Prince Ober or that um, Dorne was behind some of that. Was scheming maybe with William, um, with Sir Willem Derry and the Sea Lord of Bravos being the witness of a marriage kind of pact yeah. in secret in secret um because they were so upset at the time uh gosh what was his name he was the head and I'll, I'll think of it in a second he was one of the king's guard who went with Rhaegar and died commanded the troops from Dorne they were they had to support um the Targaryens so, you know they they had to be behind them Elia is their is is their their daughter their representative she's married to the the prince and her children are going to sit on the throne you're going to back that and so you know they were already 
Like it's ironic that Dorne was one of the last kind of nations that was uh, taken in under the Targaryen rule. And then here at the end, they were their strongest ally and the support was there. And the Mad King is like dissing on Rhaenys because she smelled Dornish and things like that. And truly Dorne was the backbone behind them. They had lost all their dragons and and Dorne knew um, that they had this opportunity. So uh, yeah, one of their princes is in the Kingsguard and he is protecting Elia and he is there um, on the... God, it is, it is, I'm blanking on his name, but still, you know what I mean? Like there's some, yeah. there's something there. And I, I kind of, that whole, Matt often will say it, that the, the, the Dornish, the Dorn plot line in the show disappeared because of ratings for whatever freaking reason, reason it went to the wayside and it didn't, um, nothing really came of it and it didn't quite fit, make sense. They, they, it makes sense, somewhat sense, but you can tell in the books, there's way, way more going on right now. And they have been sitting there. They've been referenced since the beginning. Um, Elia Martell from Dorne is one of your predominant characters in the beginning of the story who was killed. Um, and then Prince Oberyn, the red Viper shows up and wants justice on the Lannisters for killing in his sister and, and her children. So you know they're a big deal, and that's something he's been, he's put it right in front of us. It's the same thing, I, 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 I will chalk this up to like a Roose Bolton situation where Roose has been in front of us the whole time. He, we don't like, he's, per, he's someone who's been there, he's plotting, he's scheming, he ends up being a huge deal later on, and I think we haven't even seen the end of him. I think he's going to be an even bigger deal in Winds of Winter, and I think the same thing for Dorne. There are things that were laid in front of us in the beginning of the series that George has been waiting and waiting and building and building towards, and here we are. But mm-hmm. anyway, anyway, sorry. Get all fired up over here, man. What's no, going yeah, on? I mean, when we talk Woo. about things that the show admitted, I mean, it absolutely wrote out Dorne. I mean, Dorne had nothing to do with the last two seasons. You know, like nothing at all. And that's just not the case here. George gave them an elaborate history with very rich characters. Uh, and I mean, really nuanced characters as well. And there's just absolutely no way that it's not going to be a major player in the final two books into the resolution of, the, of what we have here. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll read a couple more of these just as we kind of kind of wrap uh, some of these points up here. You've got uh, from a smoking tower, you've got a great stone beast that took wing, breathing shadow, fire, mother of dragons, slayer of lies. Um, okay. Uh, so, yeah. What is what is what does that mean? Is she going to kill someone who is lying uh, to us? Is she going to cut through the lies that she's been told? Uh, all interesting stuff. Has she been lied to her whole life? Um, you know, yeah. Talked a lot about that. Uh, yeah. yeah. That, that, that's uh, real quick. That's an interesting one because like it's the question is, is what is the tower? And then sometimes I like to think that it could symbolize, um, like high tower, like I, I don't know. There's just a lot there. Could also talk about when they talk about the great stone beast took wing. Maybe it's not a dragon. Maybe it is a plague of grayscale. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that's another one I've seen. Uh, but it does make you just wonder, like, does it have anything to do with the citadel and being near the high towers and mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm. of that? And I don't know. And obviously, like in the citadel, the maesters have been a enemy of dragons. Are they lying? Yeah. Are they lying? Right. I don't know. Right. Yeah, have they been lying to us? I mean, the people who tell us the, the 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 histories are they how authentic and how how true have they truthful have they been? Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, well, because I kind of think when we when we get to High Tower and what's going on um, with with that group, I think they've been working from the side with Maesters and knowledge for a long time, predating Aegon and his conquest. And there's you know, yeah. Um, anyway, all right. So her silver, let's see. Oh, here we go. Um, 
So we move to another point, uh, something that, that is said to her. Her silver was trotting through the grass to a uh, darkling stream beneath a sea of stars. Um, and then it's just referencing her, her horse and, um, you know, what, what does that mean? We see in uh, season eight, <laughs> mysterious horse uh, walking through, uh, which, to, plot line to nowhere. I uh, don't know <laughs> what that was about, but yeah. All right, we have uh, point 14. A corpse stood at the prow of a ship, eyes bright in his dead face, gray lips smiling sadly. Uh, a corpse stood at the prow of a ship, eyes bright in his dead face, gray lips smiling sadly. People are speculating John Connington um, in his grayscale. Gray yeah. People are... Um, you know, you think about other individuals who are on ships, uh, you might... And by the way, wait a second. In A Clash of Kings, we're already foreshadowing a lot about a false... Like, he, he planned... People think he just grew into Aegon and Young Griff. He did not. Um, if, if that's true, if this is some foreshadowing of a John Connington and a friend of, of Rhaegar... He's been thinking about these things for quite some time, and the, the yeah. hints are subtle. People will say that Euron kind of comes out of nowhere for, for a little bit. There's, there's a little bit of stuff going on around Karth where, like, you could, like, back up, and he'll explain how, where that guy was, and something odd happened, and how he was connected to it. So, you know, here we go. I, I like the idea that he would be thinking that far ahead um, to, to these characters, so... All right, uh, let's see here. A blue flower grew from a chink in a wall of ice and filled the air with sweetness. Mother of dragons, bride of fire. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, right? Um, I what think is that if you're, about? If you're a fan of the John and Daenerys being together or wedding, I think that this is probably the most uh, evidence that you have for that. A blue flower grew from the chink uh, from a chink in a wall of ice and filled the air with sweetness. I think that's obviously, you know, John being at the wall mm -hmm. um, and the blue flower symbolizing that it was Liana uh, that birthed him. Mm -hmm. And the, then it says mother of dragons, bride of fire bride. Like why is she a bride in this instance? Obviously it's probably, you could speculate that it, she becomes the bride of that child. Sure. At least that's how I, I interpret it. Yeah. 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 You could, you could. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let me read through a couple more of these. We got, we got quite a few here. So we got um, shadows world and danced inside the tent, boneless and terrible. Some, some things that we've experienced before. A little girl ran barefoot towards a big house with a red door. These things are zipping past her. Like she's, when she's in here, mm -hmm. they're just saying things very quickly. And it's, it's hitting her very fast. Um, Mira Mazdor shrieked in the flames, a dragon bursting from her brow um, behind a silver, 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 Horse, the bloody corpse of a naked man bounced and dragged. A white lion ran through tall gra through grass, taller than a man. And um, beneath the mother of mountains, a line of naked crones crept from a great lake, uh, knelt shivering before her, their gray heads bowed. You know, you go back to the line of like, the, some of these days will never come to be, but these are almost like a list of George's ideas. And he's like, and he, but he, he kept the line in that says, Maybe none of this will happen, but I have a few ideas. And maybe these are reminders for me to not forget that idea. And we could come back to that or whatever. I don't, you know, um, he's he's guiding us somewhere. So 
Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I think the one that we kind of end with here is you have 10,000 slaves lifted blood-stained hands and they raced by, um, as she raced by in her silver, riding like the wind, mother, they cried, mother, mother. Uh, they were reaching for her, touching her, tugging at her cloak, the hem of her skirt, her foot, her leg, her breast. They wanted her, needed her, the fire, the life. Danny gasped and opened her arms to give herself to them. Now, at this point, then she opens up and realizes what's touching and pulling and grabbing at her are the undying. And Drogon wakes them up, hit the flames, baby, burn this <laughs> thing down. We got what we wanted. Let's skedaddle and get out of here. Um, and, and I'll say this, you know, to the hmm, it is she is so often referred to as the mother of dragons. I, so I go back to the Rhaegar point. She's the mother. He was supposed to be the father to the three heads of the dragon, right? That's what he was trying to do was father the three heads. The mother is the one who brought the dra actual dragons to life. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, she's a part of that. And so, and it's right in front of us, but we're still trying to shove the Rhaegar stuff together and make it work. And, and Seven Hells, it's right in front of us. And Danny is just the mother of dragons. Um, you know, she has the three dragons. They're right there. This is, this is not symbolism anymore, folks. They're actual dragons. <laughs> oh, but anyways, anyways. So I don't know, man. Yeah, big, big takeaways, I guess, from, from some of that. It's, it's, uh, as we kind of wrap up that, that chapter, you could take every point and we could go. There are, there are thread after thread of people who have gone and they've found other nuggets that kind of will back up their point as to why, up, uh, something that was said in the House of the Undying matches something later on, and, and this is what their interpretation of it is. You could go for hours on this chapter. Uh, unfortunately, we're not going to uh, be able to do that, but what, what, what are your thoughts? Big takeaways. Well, I mean, first off, this is just amazing, that one chapter here, and look how much uh, we can speculate and comment on. I mean, this is why we read, folks. This is why we do this. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't get any better than this, in my opinion. And you, like you said, you could take <laughs> you could take each vision and make like a 30-minute podcast on just that vision, which is really cool. But I think, I think there's a lot of room for speculation around the three heads of the dragon. I think it's also um, interesting to think about how we talked about the lens of prophecy and how that changes how Danny reacts to the situation she finds herself in later down the road and to see who we think uh, without those biased opinions will play roles in the future. And really the biggest piece of it all, I think, is Fagon. And then where what happens when John and Danny uh, eventually cross paths? It's very interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. And I think she's more and more going to, uh, we keep learning about things, the events of King's Landing, they're slowly unfolding. We're, we're getting, and again, you got to check the point of view. You got to, you know, is, is Doran Martell telling us the truth? Was there an alliance? Um, who is Sir Willem Derry? Who is yeah. he? Why is he this trusted? Um, why was there not more? I mean, cheesy cow. Um, he's that loyal. He's that what a house Derry. Interesting. Mentioned in the first book, by the way, major Targaryen loyalist. Um, it's true. Their, their dragon banners are still kind of lingering uh, in, in the closets when, you know, Tyrion or uh, who is it? Somebody walks, walks by at one point and notes it. Um, so I don't know, man. I think we're going to learn more about Danny's. We got to learn more about the, her past and the, the events of King's Landing. Uh, really cool stuff happens with Sir Barristan Selmy later where he starts to help her recall who Rhaegar really was. Um, 
the the day he wished that he was a more true knight at the tourney of Harrenhal. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the kind of stuff you're going to have these characters who could drop information. Sir Barristan, I've always thought it was very important that he could tell us more about what happened there at King's Landing. Jamie Lannister was there, friends. He could tell us a lot that he hasn't. He, there's a lot he has not yet yet yeah. said to us. Um, so you think like, God, what? I mean, how? Who told Ned to go to the Tower of Joy? Um, who? I mean, what? What was happening in King's King's Landing? It's just, it's such a great thing because there's so much mystery, and you're like, who's left to tell us the story? Can we trust Varys when he tells us the story? Um, how much was he involved? He was there, my friend. He is the master of whispers, right? Of whispers. He's there. He's the one kind of. Um, you know, with with all these different pieces, and he's plotting with with Ilario in the beginning of of Game of Thrones. He's walking through, you know, uh, Arius overhears him and Ilario talking uh, about you know death and 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 people stumbling upon bastards, and the seed is strong. And good lord, um, yeah, it's wild man, it's just it's wild. wild, it's wild, and I love it. I mean, I love you it. Know. And, and Varys is obviously in tune to know that Daenerys lives and Daenerys is making waves, but he's still propping up Fagon. Is that because he's afraid that, you know, she has, uh, you know, genetics from the Mad King? I, uh -huh. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, it's all great. And actually, we're, we're, I'm going to read this. I don't know if we're going to spend a lot of time on this Raven, but I want to read it because it at least ties in somewhat to this speculation about King's Landing and... Um, bastards and the seed is strong which we just referenced so uh lady abigail of house spears the dame of dorn writes us and it was it's good to hear uh from her again uh she says this greeting good sirs from dorn where winter has arrived <laughs> uh i have been keeping up with the reread and had a few thoughts to add to some of the recent episodes i appreciate this guys please keep sending us your ravens i love your thoughts if you're sitting there and if you think everything i said this episode is complete hogwash you better tell me you better send it in a yeah, raven okay? yeah we need some we we can have some dialogue you know you don't it, yeah. does, it doesn't have to be i disagree and that's the end of it let's you know let's have a conversation yeah absolutely um okay so point number one here you recently debated back and forth the possibility that ned stark really is john's father and ashara is the mother because their physical appearances are so similar uh we know john strongly resembles a stark and his sister Arya, and that he doesn't have any of the defining targaryen features that would imply rhaegar is his father so i tried to uh do some westerosi dna testing and here's what i came up with uh john aaron's last words were Quote, the seed is strong. And uh, he was trying to indicate that the genes of the Baratheon line are particularly dominant compared to other houses. However, don't forget that Robert Baratheon is 25% Targaryen through his grandmother, but he only displays Baratheon features. This could be an indication that the Targaryen genes are recessive, which... Totally agree with. That's why they want to keep those same kind of um, lilac, uh, purple eyes, right? Uh, all yeah. the features. Uh, jump to Rhaegar, who had two children with Elia Martell. The daughter looked like a Martell, and the son looked like a Targaryen. So Rhaegar is 50-50 on gene dominance, and those aren't great odds. Therefore, it's entirely plausible uh, possible that Jon Snow would have predominantly Stark features, and even though his father uh, what was a Targaryen. 
Liana is often described as having wolf blood, uh, which could be a hint that her genes are strong. Also, multiple uh, characters describe Arya as closely resembling Liana, and John has uh, the same features as Arya. But this, this debate leads me to wonder, which houses do you think have the most dominant genes? We know Catelyn Tully's genes uh, must be relatively strong since most of her kids look like her. Maybe the Lannisters uh, as well. So uh, point number two, and we'll, we'll come back to that and we'll discuss that here in just a, just a bit. Um, point number two, speaking of Robert Baratheon and his strong genes, do you think there is any way his four remaining bastards team up and get... Uh, and get all quote, uh, are they, they, um, get all Avengers, excuse me. They get all Avengers on Cersei. Uh, we <laughs> left them in the following places. Um, so we have Maya in the Erie. Gendry, uh, is at the inn at the crossroads. Bella is in the stony sept and Edric and Edric, uh, is over in Lys, Lice. Um, they, they would make power. They would make a powerful team. Gendry is basically Thor with his, his smith hammer. Uh, Edric has been trained like a highborn. Um, Maya rides up and down a uh, mountain on a mule every day, and I bet Bella could charm uh, could charm her way into the Red Keep if she wanted to. Uh, what would it take to get these siblings all in the same geographical area? That's all my thoughts I have for today. Keep up the fantastic work, and thank you for keeping me entertained and engrossed in a game of thrones appreciate you guys lady abigail um interesting very yeah, interesting wow. i've i've always loved uh researching and, and thinking more about the bastards and robert's bastards and yeah how they're gonna play a role why i mean they're in the story i mean you didn't need to do all of that you didn't need to you, you know like there are maybe there's even more we don't know of right but these are the ones that we in, in, interact with me come across them for what reason you know yeah and one of the most diabolical things that cersei does is kill babes yeah. Yeah, she bastards does. right i mean that that is a yep. very big point in a clash of kings and it's not surprising that some people might wonder if if that arc can somehow come back around and she gets her comeuppance you know from from some bastards also want to say really like the avengers quote uh yep. because george r. r martin was actually a massive fan of stan lee back in the day and that's how george got into writing he would write fan mail into stan lee in one uh one month stan lee actually featured george rr R. martin's write-in when he was a teen in his magazine or, or whatever wow, it was publication. really yeah and and stan lee is considered to be like george's first uh inspiration along with hp lovecraft so very wow. cool connection there wow wow that's epic that is actually really cool um dang well, I mean, yeah, I like I like the Avengers reference. I just don't, you know, the 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 tough the tough part there is how do you get them all in the same spot to team up? I that's the fight that, of the others when humanity I, bands together. Yeah, the seed is strong. Get behind these individuals. Um, you know, <laughs> gosh, I don't. I've I've thought a lot about Edric Storm and and what um yeah. how important he is and and his, his saving him and and what he's going to represent coming back and uh you know you know different. Different things. I don't know. That's something George is kind of sitting on. I don't know what he's going to do with Edric Storm. I've been fascinated by that. Uh, Gendry, good yeah. lord, I have no idea uh, any anymore. Um, does he does he stick around the Riverlands? Does he does he move north? Um, Open who's a he brothel. teaming up with? Is is he waiting for Arya to come back? Open a brothel? <laughs> yeah. <I don't, laughs> oh gosh, man. Um, 
All right, cool. Yeah, uh, a couple other things here, do just from from Lady Abigail. I like the idea of the. I totally agree about the the genes dominant recessive. That's the whole. I think I think the Targaryens have always known that that's they don't want to lose their character traits. It was easier to keep them when you marry into House Valerion, who is another house uh, from Valeria, right? And so they to keep that up and, and there's something about them too like there's no one there's no other family that looks like them they have a very distinct look and it almost makes them superior so you want to keep that sorry it's in the family and that's how they're able to keep some of that you know going um when they marry out it's sort of like uh, like you know if you marry someone who's blonde haired blue eyes uh, maybe we're getting you know we're not going to get drift too far away from their characteristics but like yeah marrying into uh the starks i don't know uh dorn has clearly shown with elia um that yeah we have targaryens who the the seed was not so strong and and there's a 50 50 kind of you know chance doesn't mean it's not gonna happen clearly aegon uh is born of elia and has very Targaryen-like features. Uh, I think Matt and I referenced uh, Baylor Breakspear back in the day. Was was yep. one of those who, yeah, was was very Dornish. So, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that is definitely something someone could dive in on. Uh, you know, and, and really take a look at whose genes really are the strongest. Uh, you know, off the top of the mind, we all obviously think of the Baratheons, but that that that's a really good thing to uh, to bring to the table for a discussion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, Lady Abigail, thank you so much. And thanks to everyone who um, sends us ravens and uh, uh, messages on Instagram and Facebook and everything. It's been great. It's been some good stuff going on in the Facebook group. Um, if you haven't been over there, check that out. Make sure you do that. A lot of fun. Uh, commenting on the YouTube videos. We're trying to trying to get over 1,000 subscribers. Can you guys please go over there and just uh, help us out a little bit and subscribe to the channel? We would appreciate it. And while we're doing that, my um, special guest today, Sir Jimmy. You're the freaking man, bro. Hey, you know, we, we, we've went pretty long here. I yeah. think we've covered some good topics. I'm sure um, uh, we'll get some sort of correspondence from me thinking that Daenerys is Rainey's when it doesn't probably make any sense. I'm just <laughs> glad to be here. I'm glad to, yeah. you know, when we call the banners, uh, I'm going to be here. And uh, I'm just very, very humbled to be a part of the episode and to talk about my favorite series of all time. Yeah, dude, this is great. I'm telling you, I, we I, I we got good feedback the last time you were on. People people enjoy having you. We enjoy the um, the Zoom hangouts. Like those have been a lot of fun. Getting to know our our bannermen. Um, if this would, and I told you this at the top of the show, I actually had a few more of our bannermen who I wanted to kind of bring into this episode, and we might even do a follow up just informal uh, with with some of um, our bannermen, anyone uh, in that tier who wants to talk about this chapter. So after yeah. we've we've laid this out, because it's just kind of hard with a lot of voices and a lot of people. You can see we've already gone. I mean, almost two hours here, and it's it, there's a lot to cover and talk about. So uh, even though it's a, a shorter chapter, it is uh, dense, and we wanted to make sure. We we tackled yeah. it appropriately. So absolutely, and you know, this Friday we have the Bannerman Zoom hangout. There we go, my friend. So we do. I, I expect people to bring their house to the dying. I, if you disagree, I want to know why. I want to know why I'm an idiot. And uh, I think there could be a lot of really good discussion on that. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that, yeah, don't forget to check that out. That'll be February 26th. Um, yeah, later this Friday, we're gonna do about 8 p.m. East Coast time. Uh, Matt will be rolling home from work um, around it'll be 5 p.m. for him. And we'll get you guys in there and, and uh, have a good time. Bring a beverage. I, I think it'll be a blast. And, and bring your thoughts on the House of the Undying, as, as Sir Jimmy said. And 
uh, let's just have a, let's have a good time. Uh, do me a favor, my friend, where can folks find you at where I'm, mean, we're gonna put links to all of your stuff down in the description, obviously. Um, but, uh, what are you doing? What's going on over there on YouTube? Like, how are you just, you're just blowing up, man. I'm, I'm quite frankly, <laughs> uh, we're sitting in I, the takeovers happening friends. You, you, you get, get on board. It's happening. I'm watching it. I'm witnessing it. Uh, Sir Jimmy is, is doing great things on YouTube. So, yeah. And you know, if you guys want to come check it out, it is the fantasy network on YouTube, a quick pitch to understand what I do there. I, I don't just review books. Uh, it might seem like that on the service, but the whole reason I started that channel, uh, was one, I wanted to read more, but two, the bigger one is the fact that a song of ice and fire made such an impact on my life. I said, well, there has to be other fantasy literature out there that can be um, at least somewhat as impactful. And that was the whole goal of the channel is to find, you know, find my next a song of ice and fire. Uh, I've had some successes and some failures. I've had some stuff I really loved and some stuff I haven't. Uh, but what I am starting to realize is that there are uh, other worlds that we can explore that are exciting, a Song of Ice and Fire is still my favorite. A Storm of Swords is still my favorite book of all time. But there are plenty of worlds to get lost in. And, uh, you know, a person who reads lives a million lives. So yeah, uh, I truly believe that. And I, I try to embody that on my channel. So if you want to come over and get some good fantasy or sci-fi recommendations, also read a lot of Stephen King. I'd love to have you. I, I interact with everyone that comments on any of my videos. And uh, I'm just... I'm just uh, very humbled that people want to hear my takes on fantasy. Uh, I do weekly releases there. You can also follow me on Twitter at the flock of Valley, or if you just search Jimmy nuts, um, you can also find that link through my YouTube channel. I'm always tweeting bookish things, song of ice and fire things and the like. So thank you so much for having me as I really appreciate it, Matt. I hope uh, your power's back on and uh, I hope you're <laughs> at least warm over there. At yeah. The yeah. Really good Lord. Yeah. Yeah, no, man, this this is great. I mean, uh, I, I also want to say, too, you, you got to go subscribe because you never know when Sir Matt and I might pop in over there on that channel. And uh, right. we've been brewing something. We've been brewing something over here. And I think um, I think there might be there might be some future collaborations going on. So I would go check that out. Uh, we are also quick plug. We're going to have uh, Jimmy on. Um, I don't know if it's going to be today. It might be tomorrow, uh, but we're going to do some we're going to be so we're going to do some uh, some wheel of time chat so if you're into wheel of time one of those we, at the top of the show we're recommending different book series uh matt and i are covering the wheel of time series uh it's called heroes of the horn that is our podcast name uh we've had jimmy on there and i'm, I'm gonna bring him on again uh as we kind of fill in and and buy a little time for for sir matt who has been uh literally under uh siege from ice and winds of grid. winter and off the grid yeah <laughs> so uh <clears throat> yeah be sure to check that out for sure all right, friends. Thanks so much. Literally, thank you to all of our patrons. You guys are wonderful. Um, I'm. T uh, we have a surprise coming for you guys soon. Our squires are going to be back in full swing. We're going to have uh, Lady Raj, Lady uh, Betsy as well. We might do a a, a big little, um, eh, just a little dish, some talk, some stuff, some extra stuff on Patreon, on YouTube, maybe even a standalone episode here on the podcast. I'm excited about that. Been in correspondence with them, and we are pumped to our bannermen uh we thank you very much and we will see you this friday so friends with that let old sir ezra scroll scroll to the bottom of the dock because you know without the dock i, I can't take us out of this episode hey, I, I got you i you got me i Let's got go. you yeah. Hey, we want to thank you for playing the game of thrones in our next episode we will be discussing chapter 49 Tyrion 11 of a clash of kings Let's go. That was well done. You got the red. I got the blue. You, you're on this, man. You're natural. I love it. Uh, if you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, leave a comment, or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you in a week. And remember, 
winter is coming.